Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast, a podcast for inspired parents. I'm Melissa. And I'm Kristen. I'm a parent of two little girls and the founder of Inner Architects. I love guiding parents and giving them a space to meaningfully connect, communicate effectively, break cycles, and learn to intentionally parent their kids. I'm an educator, a children's book author, and founder of Language Ninjas. With Language Ninjas and my books on the power of our words, parents and kids are given tools to empower their language. On this podcast, we are highlighting parents and educators who are choosing to mindfully show up differently for kids. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Purposeful Parent Podcast. Today, we are chatting with Charlie Beswick, a mom to twins and author of the book, Our Altered Life. After a healthy twin pregnancy, Charlie was given unsuspecting news that one of the boys had been born with half his face undeveloped. We will let Charlie tell the story of how their family life was altered and the journey she's gone on in her parenting. She now helps moms with children with diagnoses to love and thrive in their life. Charlie, thank you so much for talking with us today. We're really excited to be here. Thank you for having um, me. Yeah, we were chatting a little bit uh, before we hit record and um, haven't had anyone specifically discuss disabilities yet. So I think this is a great um, topic. Uh, one close to my heart, I used to teach children with disabilities. Um, I had a parent, a sister that passed away that had a disability or would have had a disability if she would have lived. Um, so yeah, we'd love to for you to take us on your parenting journey. Um, for, for, from, you know, your dreams for your family through what happened after you were given the diagnosis. And then let's, you know, this conversation, we'd love to hear how you're helping moms now. So give us a little uh, background of who you are and um, let's get into your story. Okay. Amazing. So my boys are 17 now. um, And before I fell pregnant, I was very focused, very driven, very ambitious. Um, one of these people that if I did a job, I did it right. I threw myself into it. And then when I found out I was having twins, everybody laughed and said, only you, typical you, don't do a job by halves. Um, my babies arrived at 32 weeks. So they were eight weeks premature. So I knew they would be small and have to go to our special baby care unit straight away. Um, and they were whisked off after an emergency cesarean section. So that in itself was um, unexpected and quite traumatic because it was all very, very rushed. Last minute, um, baby one was breech. Um, so that all happened. And then my fiance at the time went and called everybody and said, we've got two healthy boys. You know, Charlene's tired, but she's OK. And then four hours later, the paediatrician came and he said, twin one who we called Oliver, is fine. And I just knew at that point there was a butt coming. Mm-hmm. And he said, twin two, who we'd called Harry, has been born with what we think is a condition called golden heart syndrome. So for him, this means that he's been born with no eye, no eye socket, no ear, no nostril, a short underdeveloped jaw, all on his left-hand side. We think he'll be brain damaged and probably will never walk. And so I went from elated parent who as you say rightly had got all these dreams and plans of what my twins would be doing together they'd be going to school together they'd be 
arguing and falling out and I'd be in there like the referee, you know, um, and they'd be maybe going on holiday together and they'd have each other's backs and all of that in a split second was taken away from me. And I think the first thing I felt was fear. What if I can't look at this baby, let alone love him? What if this child that they're describing to me it is just too much for me to take? Um, and I've got to I've got to raise him and love him. What if I can't do that? So I've got the fear, then I've got the guilt. Well, it must have been something I've done. Must I've carried them? It's clearly my fault. Um, at that point, the doctors couldn't tell us what had caused Golden Heart. And even today, there's discrepancy over the the, um, the cause behind it, although it's not genetic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so you know, I've got the fear, I've got the guilt, and then I've got the grief because I didn't want to be a special needs mom. I just wanted to be a normal, air quotes, mom, like everybody else. Um, and I wanted to raise my family like a normal family and, and all of that was gone. And so there was this just tsunami of emotion. Plus I was tired and I've got all the hormones that you have when you've just given birth anyway. Um, so yeah, it was really quite challenging. Harry had to go to another hospital, so I didn't see him for five days at all. So there was no baby bonding. There was no, my baby's on me and I'm feeling this connection. Um, if anything, there was just a huge disconnect between the two of us. Um, so yeah, that was the beginning, basically, of our story together. Ooh, um, I, I, as a mom myself, feel I feel for the loss of that dream. I mean, you know, going from wanting to be or thinking that, you know, and having two together. And now I have two that, and they're not twins, but they're doing all of those things, right? They're, they're arguing, they're, they're playing, they're doing those things. And, and to have that pulled away so quickly had to have been heartbreaking. Um, what happened next? What, what, how did you, how did you move forward from that? So um, I moved forward by pretending is the honest answer. Mm-hmm. I painted this big smile on my face that I call the lie we wear. And people would say, how are you doing? And I'd be like, I'm okay, you know, taking one day at a time. And actually I was imploding. I was just full of self-loathing, self-doubt. The guilt was just horrific. Um, I didn't talk to anybody other than my mum. Probably when the boys were a few weeks old, I I confided in my mum. But I certainly didn't talk to my partner because I felt like I'd already let him down. And I felt like he must blame me already. And I thought, well, I can't fall apart because I'm already a rubbish partner and a rubbish mom. So I can't fall apart as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really didn't talk and I, I pretended for a long time. Um, Harry then was diagnosed with autism when he was three and a half years old. So that didn't come as a huge surprise. He was showing signs of being very insular, lots of repetitive behaviour, lots of rocking and lots of stimming behaviours. Um, But it was another blow because it was something else. It was another label. It was another diagnosis to deal with. It was another unknown. Um, And then when my boys were four and a half, by this time me and my partner got married, um, my marriage just broke down. So I became a single parent uh, to my boys when they were four and a half Mm -hmm. and was on my own with them then for just over two years. Um, when I met another partner, Andrew, and we've been together now 11 and a half years. So, you know, it's a happy ending, but by heck, it's been a struggle and a journey. Um, and at the time of recording, it is World Mental Health Day today. So 
you know, I, I would just say that my mental health took a real bashing. And part of that was because I refused to talk. I, I believed that I could, that I was a failure to share how I felt um, and that I would just have to get on with things on my own. Uh, and when the boys were six, I had a, a breakdown and went on antidepressants. Um, so, yeah, there was no no victory in keeping it to myself. On hindsight, if I could go back in time, I, I would have spoken sooner. Yeah. Um, what do you think the the antidepressants having like having that breakdown pulled you out of this or was there something else that happened or a person in your life that said, hey, Charlie, like I'm here or maybe you could talk about this more. Was there something, yeah. something that triggered you out of it? I think it was a combination of things. I think the antidepressants and I was really, really loath to go on them. I was very reluctant. Prior to going on them myself, I saw antidepressants as a weakness and as a sign of, you know, failure. That you, what, you need tablets to kind of get up in the morning? Um, and I was really quite against going on them. But I was very manic at one point. So I was either driving to work in my car, singing my head off and really top of the world, or I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and then it got to the point where the, the not being able to get out of bed days just got closer and closer and closer together. And there was less manic days. And what the antidepressants did was they just leveled me out. You know, they didn't, I wasn't doing cartwheels. I wasn't doing jazz hands. I wasn't, I didn't turn into this crazed Tigger sort of figure overnight, which I'd feared. Um, it just gave me a level that I could make decisions from. And it just made me feel a little bit more rational and a little bit more calm and a bit more settled. And it's exactly what I needed. And actually that's what saved me because it gave me a good foundation then to have conversations. Um, I used a lot of complementary therapies. So I had a lot of Reiki. I had some craniosacral therapy. I had some vortex therapy. So I tapped into lots of different spiritual aspects um, as well as the medication. I kind of used both and talking as well helped. So I kind of, I guess like a three prong approach. Um, yeah, and, and the crux of it all was that I couldn't forgive myself. I blamed myself for something that was never my fault. And the more I worked on forgiving myself for something that was never, I was never to blame for, you know, anybody could have a child with golden heart syndrome. Um, and as I began to forgive myself, that's when things changed and, and I really was able to become the mum I am today um, because all that self, self-loathing self was in the way and, and I was saying to my sister only last week I found a photograph of Harry which is a beautiful photograph he's got just one huge blue eye twinkling and, and it's a gorgeous photograph but when I looked at him all I saw was failure all I saw was, I can't even give you a face. What kind mm. of mother am I in the world? I can't even give my child two eyes. Um, and so that, that lack of connection was never about Harry. You know, it was always about me um, mm. and, and the false narrative that I was buying into. After you gave yourself that forgiveness and you were able to change that narrative, said things changed so what did what did it start looking like for you after that so I guess at that point I was able to be a little bit kinder to myself mm -hmm. there was a little bit more self-compassion prior to that I was a primary school teacher so I was teaching seven-year-olds in, and I think what's your third grade so in the UK it's year three <laughs> um, and I absolutely loved it but I realized that I couldn't be a full-time teacher to 30 children 
plus a full-time carer to Harry who didn't sleep beyond three hours a night Mm -hmm. and a single parent. Um, And so I was able to give myself permission to say, right, you're going to have to reduce your hours. You're going to have to go. So I was able to make some big life decisions without beating myself up and feeling like too much of a failure. So I think it it just, yeah, I think the self-compassion aspect of it was huge for me. Um, And I think as a single parent, I got in the trap of thinking, well, nobody's ever going to want me with a child who's going to be living with me forever or certainly dependent on me forever. You know, it's going to take somebody very brave or very stupid to want to sign their life over to me and Harry. Um, thankfully, my husband is that stupid. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and he's absolutely amazing. And he adores Harry and Oliver and they adore him. Um, and we're an incredible unit with his two children as well. So I think I went from that woe is me victim mentality, which we can all slip into at times, mm-hmm. to do you know what, what can I do now? And I started taking steps and looking after myself and being kinder to myself and going out with friends and, and just giving myself permission to enjoy my life again. I think I'd, I'd struggled. I almost made myself struggle as a little bit of a punishment, mm-hmm. I think. You know, I beat myself up for not being good enough, not being a good enough mum, not being a good enough partner, not being a good enough human, not being a good enough daughter to let my mum down, the fact that she'd not got these two beautiful grandsons to grow up and and babysit. Um, And so I gave myself permission to find the joy in life again. And and a a huge part of that came from my boys. um, And they are my absolute world. Um, But some of that came from reconnecting with friends and going on nights out and you know, and dating again and, and all of those sort of things, I was able to open myself up again to the world. That's really beautiful. And I think it's something that, you know, parents with children that have disabilities or not could could use that, you know, to hear that. Because I think you're right. We all do fall into that victim mentality. And whether it's, you know, we weren't able to, you know, create a human with two eyes or it's, you know, we're not parenting the way we want to in, in life now, you know, um, I think we do, we beat, we beat ourselves up to the point where, um, we, we pull back, we get into the, that mentality where, you know, we don't, I don't deserve the things that, you know, I may want, or I may need because I'm not showing up in a, in a certain way. So I think it's beautiful that one, you're vulnerable and, and open to telling this story here with us, but also, that you've, you've overcome it. And I, and I think that you're going to be an inspiration for a lot of parents listening. So, um, I'm excited about this conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, thank you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think when we, when we become mothers anyway, we have that whole identity shift. It changes women in a way, I believe slightly different to men, uh, not better, not worse. I'm not sort of, you know, judging, but I do think it changes women. Um, and that can be a really lonely path. And it can be a very confusing path for every mother. But then you add in the extra layer of isolation when your child has additional needs or a diagnosis. Um, and you get into a place where even sometimes your best friend doesn't understand where you're coming from or your husband or your wife doesn't understand where you're coming from. And it can be really lonely and really isolating. Um, and I think if, if nothing else, if you've got listeners that are hearing this and they're raising a child with additional needs, if they only took away that they're not on their own with their struggles and their thoughts and their fears and their worries for the future and their self-doubt, constant self-doubt and their frustration with the fight that they have to put up with to get what 
other children take for granted and just have. You know, if, if they only take away that it's not them and they're not on their own, then I'd be thrilled. Such a great message. I love mm-hmm. it. I'm interested to hear um, the conversation you had with Oliver and or how, you know, the dynamic between the boys as they were growing up um, and what that looked like and and, you know, how you explained, you know, the need that the, the, the additional needs that his brother had. Yeah. When the baby, when the boys were babies and toddlers, they, they definitely coexisted in two different bubbles. Harry was oblivious to Oliver, um, probably up until they were about four, really. Um, and then they sort of noticed each other a little bit more. And as Oliver became aware of what other people were doing and saying and pointing, so people will point at Harry and they'll grimace and they'll pull faces and they'll make noises and they'll comment. Um, so Oliver, from about five to maybe 10, was very protective of Harry. Mm-hmm. So we'd go out and Oliver would be on the defensive straight away. He'd be looking for people that were going to be mean to his brother um, so that he could stand up for him. So we had that period of him sort of being his real sidekick uh, and his, you know, just his champion. But then as, as the boys got older and Harry's behaviours and his sort of challenges around routine and change meant that we would maybe go out on a day, but we'd have to come back early or we'd go out somewhere and Harry would get overwhelmed and take it out on Oliver. Mm. Then we got through a period of resentment Mm. um, where Oliver resented the fact that Harry couldn't chat with him, couldn't play with him, couldn't, you know, took a lot of time. Harry's had 20 operations. I've spent a lot of time in hospitals at his bedside and that's time that I've not been with Oliver. And so I always say the siblings in families like ours are the unsung heroes. They're the ones that have to wait in the wings a little bit. They have to take their turn. They have to take a back seat. And that's really hard on them. So I, I try and at least once a year, Oliver and I will go away for a weekend and we just have time on our own. Um, and I'll try and be conscious around things like putting my phone down if he comes to talk to me. Um, I'm a bugger for sort of texting and chatting. And so I try and make a very intentional, conscious decision to put the phone down. Or if I'm in the middle of a message, I'll say two seconds, finish it. And I say, right, I'm with you now. So that he's got my undivided attention. So, you know, that's been a real balance. But I remember um, the boys were about five years old. And it was at the point where Olive, we're not a particularly religious family. We're quite spiritual, but we're not heavily religious. But Oliver was going through the period of finding out, learning about God and religion in school. And I remember him saying, why do we have Harry? Mom, why did, why did God send Harry to us and not another family? And I said, well, you know, he, God sent him to us because he knew we'd look after him and we could care for him and we could, you know, bring him up in the world. Um, and he's special to us. And Oliver said, you always say he's special, but you never say I'm special. And it killed me. And obviously I was saying the word special, meaning different, disfigured, autistic, unusual. And Oliver was hearing the word meaning precious, meaning, I, you know, hearing I'm not precious. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to him, and it broke my heart. For a long time, I couldn't tell the story about crying. But I mm-hmm. said to him, Oliver, you know, God sent Harry to me because he thought I could bring him up and, and raise him. And God sent you to me 
yeah, God sent Harry to me to raise him and God sent you to me because on the days when I feel like I'm not a good mum, I look at you and I'm remembered about all the things I do well and I do right. And you are my gift. You are the person that keeps me going. You are everything, you know, you are the one I can be proud of and celebrate. And I said to him, you are the greatest thing I have ever done. And even now, my boys are 17. And even now, I will, and we must say this two, three times a week, I'll say, Oliver, what are you? And he'll say, the greatest thing you ever did. And I'm like, damn right, don't forget it. And that's our, that's mine and Oliver's mantra. But that came from a real painful place of realisation that, and we discussed this before the podcast, the power of our language. You know, I was saying one thing with a meaning in my head and Oliver was hearing it as a completely different, in a different context. Um, so yeah, my boys, Oliver, uh, Harry is my sunshine boy. So I sing, you are my sunshine to him. And he, and he will sing that with me. And Oliver, I say to him, you know, is the greatest thing I ever did. And it's really difficult finding that balance. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm freezing a little over here, so I don't know if I'm lagging or interrupting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is such, such a balance to maintain you're out. And it's, it's beautiful that you were able to figure that out with your boy. Uh, how are, well, how are you supporting moms now gone yeah. through the same path as you? Yeah. So it's something I couldn't have done 10, you know, four, so even five years ago, because I was still navigating life, I, I guess. Um, now I feel that I'm through the emotional roller coaster. Not to say there isn't more on the way, um, but I feel that I've got the skills and, and the mindset and the attitude and the confidence now to tackle what's coming. Um, there's a number of ways. So I have a weekly newsletter that goes out, and mums always message me, email me, and say, "It's like you're in my head. You're saying things that I've been worrying about all week." So I have my newsletter. I have free eBooks that mums can download just to give them. The little pep talk if they haven't got me in their ear they can t- you know have a flip through that very short and sharp because we don't have a lot of time as mums in general but you know mums with children with additional needs have even less time um and then this year i launched a facebook community called send gin and cheese so send in the uk stands for special education needs and disability so that's an acronym for send and gin and cheese are the two things that i'm known to love um, not quite as much as my boys, but they're up there. I'm going to say it's up there. We've got the boys, set gin, cheese, and the husband's there somewhere. The step are <laughs> up there. Um, and, and the idea for that group is that really it's a place for mums to come completely judgment-free. It's a beautiful community. It's far better than I could have ever imagined it when I, when I founded it. And we've got 1,300 mums in there currently. Um, And it's a place where we celebrate the wins, the little wins that other people might just take for granted. You know, somebody posted the other day, their child had eaten fish fingers and and they've not eaten anything different ever in their life. And we were like, yes, that's huge. Whereas to a, you know, to a typical parent, they're going to be like, okay, that's just fish fingers. (laughs) But it symbolizes so much more. Um, And so everybody in that community, we get the the bad days, we get the great days, we get the celebrations. Um, And it's a really empowering space for us to be women as well as mums. So when mums come in, they answer a couple of questions to the group. um, And one of them is share your favourite beverage and snack. And, you know, as sort of part of your introduction, just to remind them that they're, you know, I'm Charlie as well as Harry's mum. 
you know, I, I'm me. Um, and just tapping into that identity. So send gin and cheese is somewhere I would absolutely direct your listeners um, if that's the right place for them. If they've got children mm. with additional. <laughs> that's awesome. You also have a book. Um, you've written a book. Tell us about the book. Is that just your story or is, is there more to that book? Yeah, it is our story. It was never going to be a book. It was originally just a cathartic exercise of me writing everything down. And it took me about nine years because I wrote it very gently, very slowly. I pieced together diary entries, Facebook statuses, reports from healthcare professionals, from school, um, you know, from Harry's medical notes and things like that. And then I gave it to a couple of friends to read and they were just blown away and they just, you need to publish this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Like, is anybody going to want to read my life? And people were like, yes, you must. So I published it in 2017. It became an Amazon bestseller really quickly. Um, it's been bought all over the world. So, you know, it's, it's global. And yeah, mum messaged me and they say, wow, you have written what I don't say. So it's definitely resonating with the mum that I was when I was, when I talked about that lie we wear, you know, that smile that says, sure, I'm fine. You know, if mums are in that kind of space, they'll find this really empowering. Um, I will say it makes people cry, but it also makes them laugh out loud in parts because as, as you may have gathered, I am brutally honest. I don't hold anything back um, in terms of how I felt. So it can be a little bit raw at times. Both of my boys are aware of it. You know, I've explained to Harry, even though he doesn't have that massive understanding. Oliver's read the book because I talk about my suicide attempt in there as well. Mm-hmm. So, or my suicide feelings, should I say. Um, so they're both aware of the book. But it, yeah, it's just out there for mums to read. And again, to know that they're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it seems to be achieving that, which is all I can ask for, really. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. And and. Um, again, I, I used to work with students with disabilities. I used to teach um, adaptive physical education, and I used to sit in many IEP meetings with parents and, you know, truly became part of some of those families and, and felt the hardship and stuff. And it, it would have been wonderful to be able to offer them a resource like you. Um, I didn't have any, you know, I, I gave them as much support as I could, but, you know, there wasn't, from what I knew, people outwardly having these conversations and celebrating the wins. I mean, Chris and I talk about that a ton in, in the language that we, you know, the language program that we've, we met in, um, you know, a big part of that is celebrating your wins and staying positive and the conversations that we've had so far with our guests. It, there seems to be a recurring theme of making sure that parents are taking care of themselves and being, you know, giving ourselves that permission to show up as ourselves first, right? Yeah. That, you know, we do get so lost in becoming parents that, you know, our true natures and, you know, who we were prior often, you know, is lost. So um, I think what you're doing is beautiful. Your story is inspiring and you seem like a you know, such a fun, beautiful, amazing mom. Um, before we, we part ways, I want to, we, we always like to leave our listeners with kind of a tangible, actionable thing for them to do today. So if this, if they're, if your story is similar to theirs, um, and they resonate and they're like, Oh, I'm sitting in this grief or in this guilt. Um, 
what's one thing that you think they could do today to kind of pull themselves, start, start the process of pulling themselves out? I would say not to believe everything you think (laughs) because we are our own worst critics and we tend to, if we're saying I'm no good at this or I'm failing, once we've got that narrative, we tend to then look for evidence that proves us right rather than discounting it. So I would definitely say don't believe everything we think. Um, I know you said one piece. I'm going to give another one. To take one day at a time. Mm-hmm. I think once you've got a child with special needs, it's very easy, even for me now, and I have to have a word of myself at times, to look 10, 20 years ahead and panic about what you're going to do then. And what I found in the past is sometimes I've worried about something for maybe three or four years. And then we've got to that point and it's either A, been completely fine and I've wasted all those years of worry or what I was worried about didn't happen. It was something completely different that blindsided me that I'd never expected. And so we use, you know, we need to conserve the energy that we've got, particularly when we're not having a great deal of sleep or support. Mm. So I would definitely say to just take one day at a time um, to be gentle and kind to yourself to not believe everything you think um yeah I think that's probably that's probably what I would say and and those are amazing tips and I would argue (laughs) that those are tips for any parent Mm -hmm. you know um taking taking one day at a time has been something I'm really focusing on and I I don't have children with special needs so Mm -hmm. really looking at you know like not trying to jump so far ahead and say you know oh my god if she's thinking this way now, what is she going to be like when she's 16? Or if we say this now, what happens when she, you know, because yeah. you said there's mm-hmm. so much that could happen between then and, you know, now and then, and absolutely things coming mm-hmm. in blindside. So I think that's just beautiful advice for any parent. Yeah. Good. good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And I, I to ask too, for the, the parents, um, who have kids that see somebody who is different has a special need and they're curious Mm -hmm. because they're kids an uncomfortable conversation at times for parents um they don't know how to handle it so what advice do you have for those parents with topics with their kids and then also like what encouragement do you have um for parents with the kids with special needs That's such a beautiful question. Thank you for asking. Um, I would say that the main thing that children can do when they see somebody who's different is just to smile at them. Because, and I have actually founded a charity called More Than A Face. So UK, I go into schools and I educate children and young people on facial disfigurement and visible difference as well. And I always say to them, a smile says, you're safe here. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to pick on you. I'm not going to laugh at you. You know, I'm a friend. If you want to approach me, you can. It, reju- it drops the barriers and it works in any language, you know, in any culture. So I would just say encourage your child to smile. And as parents, and you are right, it is difficult to have those conversations because often parents don't think about it until they're in that moment. Mm. It's not something that they think you, they tend to discuss around the dinner table, for example. It's in the moment. And I've seen so many parents either smack their children for staring or whisk them away, or encourage them not to stare. And all that says is, you know, my my child or children like Harry aren't good enough to look at. You know, that kind of sends the wrong message. So for parents, I would say, 
embrace difference and just say to those children, if, for example, they saw Harry, oh, yeah, OK, so he doesn't look like you. He might look a little bit different, but everybody's different, aren't they? I'm sure he's he likes things that you do. And it's just having that conversation. Um, and the times I've heard mums try just having a go at, at sort of explaining about Harry when they don't know themselves mm. is beautiful. And I'll just smile and thank them. And they just kind of smile back. So we're all learning in this. We're all winging it together. Um, but I'd say for children, it's just accepting that difference isn't bad. Difference isn't dangerous. Difference isn't ugly. And for parents, it's let children explore and, and just do that in the safe way of that conversation. You know, if they are pointing and staring, you can say, oh, we don't point and stare. I'm sure you wouldn't like it if people were pointing and staring at you, wouldn't you? You know, and oh, yeah, that boy looks like he's just got one eye. That's unusual, isn't it? But I'm sure, you know, he's got special gifts or whatever it's just normalizing that conversation mm -hmm. love that yeah Kristen that was a great question I love that we added that into the conversation because that was the that was a huge thing that um we talked about like when we would integrate the children that we were working with in the schools into the the regular classes um and having those conversations so that's awesome um, Charlie, anything we haven't talked about yet that you would like to include in this conversation before we, we end here? I don't think so. Other than to say, if anybody wanted to get in touch, they can follow us on Instagram at Our Altered Life or Facebook at Our Altered Life. Um, the group is Send Gin and Cheese. And if anybody wanted to get in touch with me privately, my email is info at ouralteredlife.com. And I do offer mentoring as well. Just I didn't mention that before. So I mentor mums as well, one-to-one. -one. Beautiful. All right. We'll be sure to put all that into the notes so people have that. And um, thank you so much for being here today and having this conversation and being willing and, and open about your story, because I'm sure it is helping so many people. I do hope so. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. We had a really great time talking with our guests today and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure to check out the show notes to get more information on today's guests and to check out what they are up to. To learn more about Melissa and Kristen, follow The Purposeful Parent on Instagram. You can also check out what Melissa is up to by following Inner Architect on Instagram. And to keep up with Kristen, follow Language Ninjas on Instagram. We'd love to hear how you are choosing to purposefully parent, so please feel Feel free to reach out and say hi.